0: be very very honest with you this morning. It is it is so grievous to see the Lord's day abused the way it is. So little concern for our Lord. And there's nothing we can do about it other than praying and seeking the Lord. It's not going to get better out there. Our only hope is it gets better in here. Trying to, well, just getting ready to... The Lord this morning. There was boats I could hear speeding up, up and down the lake. That God will never cross their minds today. Doesn't matter that this is His day. doesn't matter that he even is God. They were just out for a, for a good time. And I'm sure that they will have it. But folk, it is so temporal. If you would, turn with me to the 139th Psalm. I do not know where we will go in this, or what might be accomplished in this, and I do realize there is far more here than you could ever get to in a lifetime. But I want to get down to verse number 17, where David said, How precious are thy thoughts. How precious are thy thoughts. We'll begin in a few minutes with... With well, verse number 1, would you, would you bow with me? And I trust you'll join hearts as we seek the Lord for His help, His honor, and His glory. Flame of our hearts, the grief, the weight, the disappointment, and yet. It is thy day. This is thy house. These are, I have hope, thy children. And again, fresh and new. We need heaven's gentle rain, lest our soul become like that outside, parched ground, cracks, crying for water, vegetation hurting. What about me, O Lord? Is Christ being endeared to my heart, to the forsaking of all things? Is He becoming precious? Father, have mercy upon us. We thy people. Provide for these dear souls, Lord, that which is most needed. And I plead with you now for help to elevate our minds far above the regions of this old world to the heavenlies, and glorify Christ. And may thy great name be honored in our midst. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Psalm 139, David, O oh Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me, for the God of today is so small. so far away, the only time God is thought of in most places, in most hearts, is when a major issue arises. But I want you to see if you can begin to see God in light of Scripture far beyond that which religion has made Him out to be today. Oh God, Thou hast searched me and know me. There are crevices and Depths in our own soul that we don't even know about. The budding, possibly, of sins that would this day make us cringe to even think about them. They all lie within. God knows me. I don't even know myself. Now listen thou knowest my down sitting. Now when David is speaking speaking personally to the Lord here, he's speaking for all people, not only the saved, redeemed believers but all people. You understand, you know my down sittings, place where I where I will sit, but not in the physical sense. You know my mind uprisings. Now understand this my thought, far off. Over 7 billion people in the world today. And not only does God know what they are thinking this day, God knows what they'll be thinking tomorrow, this time. And God knows what these 7 billion people will be thinking. Those that make it 10 more years, God knows today. As a God far, far different and higher than religion's God today, Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together, everything. Not only that which is there, but that which might, might and will come out later. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful. The word wonderful there, it means secret or translated secret in another place. Noah trying to get the angel to tell him his name. He said, It's secret. Why are you asking? It's wonderful. Secret. God said, My knowledge, it's just. Too wonderful, too secretive for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Now I would like for you to read sometime the remainder of those verses. I'm not saying that I won't come back to them shortly, I don't know. Read the remainder of those down to verse number 17. David said how precious. The word means how prized or how valuable. The value of something is dependent upon the seller of the object and the buyer. I mean there are most things out there in the world that I have no interest for. But they might be very valuable to other people. And some might be willing to part with a lot of things just to obtain that one item. Some folk collect old cars, old tractors. They have no value to me. I like them. Some are very beautiful, been refurbished, brought back to a newness of life. But when I've seen them, that's all the value that they are to me. But the buyer, the one that collects, the one that wants them... He has a far greater interest, they are more prized to him, than they are to me. And scattered my grandmother, she, she had her chickens, I mean they just, they ran free back then. Uh, and every day she'd go out with her with her apron full of corn and whatever, and she'd scatter it all around, and they'd, they'd flock to her. And then the next day you'd see them out there scratching around, possibly having missed a grain of corn. Those same chickens, or one of those chickens could have could have scratched up one of the most valuable gems that the world would ever know, but it was of no value to that chicken. That chicken was looking for the grain of corn, and the value is dependent upon That object in the eye of the beholder, or that object in the need of the one that is seeking it. David said, God's thoughts, God's thoughts. They're very precious and valuable unto me. Oh God, how great is the sum of them. Now the one thing that David did not say here is how prized are my thoughts of God. It's not what I think of God, though that is of utmost importance. My thoughts, my theology must be right. There are a lot of facts pertinent to my continual existence here on this earth that mean nothing to me whether I know them or whether I consider them on a daily, weekly, or yearly, or never consider them. Knowing them doesn't affect my life here on earth. I mean, there's a giant object up there in the sky, our biggest star. And every day, at least for two weeks, maybe here or there a cloud has covered it for a few minutes, but it's been up there shining every day. I don't give daily consideration to that giant ball of fire, knowing that the two little atoms of hydrogen and helium uh, comprise the greater part of of that mass up there. But my life doesn't depend upon me knowing that. I mean, that was unknown for, for thousands of years. It's not, it's not valuable to me or to my existence here. Whether I know it or whether I do not know it, it just doesn't affect me. And the mass of, of that ball of fire is so great that it has such a strong gravitational attraction that it holds the planet upon which I walk in place, never drifts too far, never drifts out of its own orbit. But that's not important knowledge. Our world rotates on its axis every 24 hours. Makes a path around the sun every 365 one-fourth days. But that, that doesn't affect, or the knowledge of that doesn't affect my life. I mean, it's got to be there, it's got to do that for life to exist. But I'm talking about, that's not valuable prize knowledge for me. There is a lesser light that shines, sometimes for a few days in the fullness of a reflected light bouncing off that. And it goes through a cycle every 27 days, nearly 8 hours or a little above 8 hours, I don't know. And the gravity of the, of the sun and the gravity of the moon and the rotation of the earth and the unequal heating of the earth in spots and it rotating all this. It affects the wind or the like thereof. It affects the rain, the tide in the oceans. So you can accumulate a lot of knowledge that will never affect you once death seizes upon you. These things just, they, they're there, they are, they are knowledgeable, they are truth, and yet they do not affect me. I die, I leave all that behind. But I must have a right, true knowledge of God. And if that is so, sure, if that abides within, it will have a daily, eternal weight upon my life. I live before God. I do what I do before God. I'm thankful. I'm worshipful. I'm appreciative of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has a daily influence upon my life. Now the gravitational attraction of the sun has a daily influence upon my being here, but it doesn't affect my mind. It doesn't affect my heart. No truth of God is like that. God himself, the very being of God, all of that is very prized and I will forego any treasure on earth to gain one more, one more bit of knowledge of God. And Jesus asked that crowd, what think ye e of Christ, whose son is he? And they said, well, he's the son of David. They had it right. They knew that Christ would be the son of David. They just didn't know that the one that asked them the question was the Christ. And he had no influence upon their life. Matter of fact, they're still over there waiting for Christ to appear. And the Jesus... The Son of God, the Christ, the Son of David, King of kings and Lord of lords. He has no influence upon them, or they exist because He supports their lives, just like the sun and the rain support your life. You're thankful for the rain, for the sun. Same principle of those Jews waiting for Jesus. They knew whose son he would be. The woman at the well, the language towards that stranger that said he'd give her living water. It just continued to elevate and elevate to finally she said, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She had a right. But he's more than a prophet. He's far more than that babe that lay in a manger over there. He's more than what religion makes of him. And he's more than what you think of him. in the highest thoughts you can have of God is above all that so when I say and tell you David's not talking about what he thinks of God I'm not minimizing what you must know of God. Christ to the disciples. Who do men say I am? Well this this John risen, Jeremiah, Elijah, one of the old prophets risen, whom say ye that I am? Thou art the Christ. There are multitudes in the world of today that will acknowledge that Jesus is God. But it has no weight. The pews will be emptied because their knowing Jesus is God does not influence them on a daily basis. It has no relevance to life here. The my only concern about the weather, in particular, is when I have to go out and come down here. I don't know if it's raining, then I need an umbrella. And in the winter time, if it's cold, I need I need something to cover up going home. Because of of getting too warm in here. But that's my only concern about the weather. That's the only relevance the weather has to me. My thinking of God has eternal weight. But now listen, David is lifted to a greater height than his thoughts of God. He's raised far above any mental powers that mortal man can ever possess. Einstein couldn't get it. If there have been those that who, whose, whose IQ was higher than his, they couldn't get there. Solomon, of all the thousands of proverbs that he wrote, and all of his knowledge from the great cedar to the hyssop that grew out of the wall, knew it all, but he couldn't get to what God thinks. For when Jesus Christ came to earth, Here are the four areas in which he grew, and I want to deal with these maybe briefly. He grew physically. Jesus grew. He grew mentally. Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew socially. Jesus grew in favor with man. He grew spiritually in favor with God. Now at the end of his life, 33 years or 33 and a half, whichever, all that he was previously he now has grown into that. And there is, there is Almighty God, with two arms, two feet, two eyes, and two ears. But as that baby lay aside his power. He lay aside all his knowledge and wisdom that that was involved in the creation of all things and the sustaining of life for the thousands of years that it would exist. He knew all about man. His delight was with the sons of men before he ever created or they ever got here. He knew all about a social life with man. And what do you say about his spirituality? Well, it was God. He couldn't grow in that. But as a man, he could. Now I want to break these areas down, and then I could do I could do so more. But I want to break them down into philosophy. I grow socially and mentally psychology our development socially and mentally scientifically the development of our minds and our ability to exist down here and then lastly our growth spiritually just as he is But now every field of study, these could be broadened, they could have a lot of uh, subheadings under each one of them, but, uh, but every field of study today begins with man, man's mind, philosophy, psychology, science, theology, Now philosophy is the study of the fundamental problems facing society and mankind. How did I get here? What am I doing here? What's my purpose upon earth? It has to do with values. Why is this valuable and this greater and this less? It has to do with reason, you reasoning out things. But today philosophy it begins in man's mind and the philosophers think and there have been a lot of, of 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 great philosophers but they say that the mind of man is the highest that anybody can ever get. And if it's important for society to know it, then it came from our our brains. So everything, everything's been reduced in their thinking to only that which originated in their minds, or men's minds. And it's, these things have become, it's like a, it's just like a A fog. You can't see two two feet in front of you, you can't see six inches above your head. And it's affected religion so that, that man now tries to work out a way to think his way to God, to reason out the being of God. You'd be just as well off trying to reason out the actions of a dog. No, you could do that over a given period of time. But you can't reason, you can't think your way to God. That would be you bringing God down to the level of your mentality. God's far above what you can think. psychology. Well, a psychologist tries to figure out the behavior of man, how he will act or react in this situation or given conditions. So they they labor so that we can improve society and make the world a better place for all of us. you know where theirs begin? Their heads, we can just figure out if we can create better living conditions. I don't know fifty. Sixty years ago, this was tried by the government. They went in and they rebuilt some of the slum areas and put up housing projects. Do you know how long that lasts before they begin to deteriorate and show the lack of care? I mean, you, you just can't give folk something and they take care of it like they would if they had to labor to get it. But psychology reasons out of. We just improve their environment. We'll make, we'll make human beings better. Can't do it. That's science. The study of our world and our environment. And they, they step one, or they go one step beyond psychologists, psychiatrists, philosophers. And they say that there are things that are outside men's minds that do affect us. And they have an idea by, by whatever out there in, in the world. And they'll get an idea, and they'll say, alright, let's take that idea, let's bring it to the lab. And let's investigate it, and let's test it, let's test it again, let's run more tests. And after it begins to hold up time and again under test, then they'll say, alright, now this is a law of science. So they did go beyond the philosopher and the psychologist and the psychiatrist. And there have been a lot of good ideas that have originated in men's minds or events that affect their thinking that have been very beneficial to society. None of had to go to the barn and hitch up the horse and get the buggy out to ride to church. Your grandparents did, at least in their early years. None of you didn't have to go out to, to the whale well and and let down a bucket and and draw up your water and heat it to get a bath. Somebody figured out we can pump water into homes. We can ride. Figured out where that a round thing. We can, we can make that very beneficial to society. Problem with all of it is, all study ends with man. Now if it began, if the philosopher began with God, if the psychiatrist Begin with God. If the scientists began with God, and the Creator was at the center of all, it might it might lead us. It might induce in us a desire to seek after and not rest until we had found the Creator of all these things. But if there is that desire within, that be only by the work of the Spirit of God. For your mind cannot rise above that which it can grasp. That's as high as you can go, what's up here. That which lies there. We just don't have the capacity to reach above our own thinking. And yet God is above my thinking. God is on the outside of all my thoughts. Anything that can originate in the natural mind of man, it falls short of the knowledge of God. Canst thou, Job 11, Job, Esther, canst thou by searching find out God? Well, all of us know. No. You may have read, I uh, probably none, well, I know it's not required reading anymore, The Adventures of Thomas Sawyer of Huckleberry Finn. They ride down the river on on that raft that they've made. But if you've never seen a river, no picture of it, and you read about them riding on a few Logs tied together, riding down a river. You wouldn't know what a river was. You couldn't picture it. Something would have to have been up there to allow you to know what the river was that they were riding on. Now you could imagine, but you'd miss it a thousand miles every time. If there had been no, no pictures of, of the landing on the moon, we could sit down here and every night gaze up at the moon and we, we could say, well, its, its surface is made of this and its environment is this, but we couldn't know what it was. Now, I'm talking about a river. And I'm talking about a moon. How under heaven do you think that your mind can ascend to a being? You can't. It just can't ascend to something beyond that which it knows. Anybody here, can, de- can you describe... Seraphim. nothing other than what God has said they got six wings God's so holy they cover their face with two of them when they fly about can anybody describe an angel to me you've never seen one never can't God didn't give us any description but that brings us to the physical body of the Lord Jesus can anybody tell me what color his eyes were how tall he was was he always complected like many over there and in that country you can't do it you just can't get there because God won't have you making an image even in your own head of God himself Deuteronomy if you would, twelve, and I'm not gonna go much much longer. Deuteronomy chapter number 12, beginning with verse number 1. These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land. When you get in there, here's how you behave. Which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it, all the days that ye live upon the earth. Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess serve their gods. Upon the high mountains and upon the hills and upon every green tree, ye shall overthrow their altars, break their pillars, pillars and burn their groves with fire, and ye shall hew down the graven images of their gods. Lord, why? You shall destroy the names of them out of that place. Reason, Verse number 8. You shall not do after all the things that we do here this day. Every man whatsoever is right in his own eye. You're going to have to destroy everything. Lest that affects you. One day you're gonna worship their gods. One day you're gonna have their images as your god. One day you're gonna, you're gonna go up there on the mountain to the groves and worship in the high places. Why? Because that's what you've seen. And you didn't destroy. Aaron couldn't fix Israel a God to go before them unless he had seen that God in Egypt, where they worshiped the cow, calves. He couldn't do it, he would seen that. And the great struggle that you and I face when you kneel is praying to a God that you've made yourself. I have this for the last thing today. That is, theology. Jesus grew spiritually. That is, in favor or grace with God. And I can't do it justice, but I'll leave you with this. No being can interpret from this book anything that will help them form a right mind-heart about God Himself. And the one thing you've got to fight every time you come back to the Scripture is to approach it not on any mental ground you stand on or capacity therein, but to approach it as it is a shut book, I do not have the mental power to get where it would carry me. But religion has rested here. When I kept silent, Psalm 50, you thought, you thought, because I didn't afflict you, because I let you get by with unfaithfulness, with unthankfulness, with behavior unbecoming that of a Christian, every time you got by with anything, God didn't deal with you, you begin to form this image that God was such a one as thyself. We would get in great trouble today if we disciplined like our parents and our grandparents disciplined them. You wouldn't have children around. And we've taken that out of society. Because we figured out God doesn't discipline, therefore it's wrong to discipline. And God doesn't punish, therefore God loves. Now I know I'm leaving you in the middle of it, but lest I weary you more, I'll just I'll just leave you there. And with this, in all that I've said, just the only thing you retain is this David had God's mind revealed to him. How precious are thy thoughts. I would like, if the Lord is pleased to do so. Share with you from Scripture just a thought or two of God, God's thoughts.